Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories, particularly about vehicle sales, where supply constraints make for some interesting trends. And our sales numbers now include Tesla and Polestar products. And from the United States, we have a story about ranking cars whose owners have one or more drink driving citations and a trucking industry association expresses great anger at the budget slashing the fuel tax rebate to zero. In our, fe- in our feature story, modern vehicles are full of clever technology to get more efficiency, but they are tuned for average driving conditions. Dynamometers can help tune a car, a truck, a motorbike, or even a lawnmower to get good efficiency, and especially in the case of cars and trucks, But more than the general approach, vehicles can be tuned for particular needs. We speak to Alan Evans, the owner and MD of Dyno Dynamics, the makers of very high quality dynamometers here in Australia. Great information from a local manufacturing company. We've got time for a bit of feedback about a subject we raised over the last few weeks. And in the light of major electric car companies now being represented in our reported sales figures, we chat to Samantha Johnson, the MD of Polestar in Australia, about electric vehicle companies participating in mainstream activities. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au, which has links to social media and the podcasts. But let's get this program going. First, the news. The FCAI has released the vehicle figures for March 2022. Because of constrictions in supply, they are a reflection on available stock as much as consumer preference. With supply and demand both playing their part, significant trends for the first quarter of the year include Mitsubishi has done well and is in a clear third place in overall sales. Kia has moved into fourth place with greater sales than its sibling brand Hyundai in fifth though not by much. Kia's medium SUV, the Sportage, and its smallest SUV, the Stonic, led their charge. MG was the seventh best-selling brand, and Isuzu Ute is in eighth position. The bigger luxury vehicle brands are well down. Mercedes sales are down 27%, BMW down 13%, Audi down 38%, and Lexus down 15%. A few European brands that are still selling in very low numbers but have had a welcome percentage increase include Renault up 97% and Peugeot up 22%. The Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries has noted that in year-to-date terms, the market is only down half of 1% on last year, but this is the first time that Tesla and another electric vehicle company, Polestar, have reported their sales numbers, so the percentage decline would be higher than the reported figure. If the numbers are representative, then Tesla is the 15th best-selling company out of some 50 car companies. It is one place ahead of Honda and ahead of many brands, including prestige vehicles such as Audi, Volvo, Lexus, Porsche, Land Rover and more. The Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries aims to represent the collective view of car companies in Australia, but for some time Tesla has not been a member, citing the cost of membership. Tesla has now joined the group and for the first time the sales figures for the latest month, March 2022, include their numbers, which appear to be very significant. 
Also included are the figures for another electric car manufacturer, the Swedish company Polestar, that arose out of the Volvo car company that itself is now Chinese-owned. This is one indication of electric car manufacturers embracing the mainstream. Samantha Johnson is the Managing Director for Polestar in Australia. Prior to an official announcement, I asked her if Polestar was a member of FCAI. Yeah, absolutely. And especially like, you know, um, I've just been appointed the board, on the board of the Electric Vehicle Council. Yeah. And well, uh, thank you very much. And really, um, that gives us a, a you know, greater a, a voice and being able to really work on um, the areas that we feel um, are a high priority. So, you know, educating people, um, charging infrastructure, making sure that that's um, done in the right way and it's... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's regulated in the future and there's, um, you know, you can go to a, a charging site, it's all working, everything's the way, the way it should be. Creating an image for a vehicle brand is one of the big aims of marketing. But if that image is a macho, domineering and or performance picture, it can have some negative consequences. Insurify, a platform that compares insurance products for Americans, compiled information from their database of over 2.7 million insurance applications where drivers had to disclose their driving record. They then cross-referenced these to other data sets such as mileage travelled. They compiled the results of the number of drivers who owned a particular model and who had one or more DUI citations on their record. According to the US National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Drunk driving claims the lives of more than 10,000 individuals every year in the United States, an average of one per hour. Six of the top 10 vehicles where owners had one or more DUI citations were large utilities, or as they call them in America, pickups. In first place was the Ram 2500. In second place, the Chevrolet S10. Other pickups in the top 10 were the Dodge Dakota, the Ford Ranger, the Chevrolet Silverado, and the GMC Sierra. No SUVs were in the top 10, but four sedans were. The BMW 4 Series, the Audi A4, the Subaru WRX, and the large BMW 7 Series. The precision of this analysis is not clear, but the overall trends appear to have some veracity that deserves closer attention. The federal government's halving of the fuel excise has been seen as a winner for motorists, but the National Road Transport Association is not happy. They said the budget announced a 22.1 cents per litre reduction in fuel duty, but Treasury's fact sheet issued on budget night says the effective reduction for heavy vehicle operators on public roads is only 4.3 cents per litre. Their argument is that as well as fuel excise, which has been temporarily reduced, heavy vehicles pay a road user charge, which has not changed and is currently 26.4 cents per litre. But the budget reduced the fuel tax rebate credit for heavy vehicles on public roads from 17.8 cents a litre to zero. Given the reduction in revenue that will happen with the increased use of electric cars, and this current debate about who benefits the most from the short-term budget move on fuel excise, it is time for a thorough review of road user charges. An effective road user charge could vary the rate to suit good policy directions, 
such as moderately higher costs for travelling in the peak hours in urban areas, or in the case of trucks or any vehicles, higher rates for the rate of pollution that a vehicle produces. Australia has a high average age of trucks, where an older model can produce at least 60 times more pollutants than a vehicle that meets the current European standards. And that has been the news. Alan Evans is a motorsport enthusiast, a former president of the New South Wales Motoring Club, the NRMA, and a successful businessman. We will get onto the racing in a while, but let's find out first the current and the future of devices that can help tune your car perhaps to fever pitch. He is, of course, Managing Director of Dyno Dynamics. Dyno Dynamics now sells dynamometers in countries around the world. G'day, Alan. How's business? Business is uh, going very well, David. In <laughs> fact, in some ways too well because uh, the demand is just growing and uh, getting the skilled staff necessary to build these machines to the standard we require is not easy. We've got great staff, but I need more. Dynamometers, it's really, it's a device with rollers to sit a car on and drive it without moving. How do you use that to tune a car? Okay, well, we, we now also have the ones dynos we call hub dynos, which bolt straight onto the uh, the axles of a car and take the wheel and the tyre out of the equation. They're used more for performance cars because they're quite big, but what you're doing is you're actually trying to simulate on the dyno the conditions a vehicle will encounter in its day-to-day driving or specialist driving or whatever. For example, I can simulate going up mountain straight at Bathurst if someone thinks their car is not performing as well as it should going up mountain straight in a race. Equally, we can use it to test a car that someone's towing their caravan with and they experience some issues going up, you know, one of the the more well-known inclines, you know, say on the road from... uh, City to Newcastle, there's some quite good inclines, and they, when it's under low, they experience problems. So you can really simulate every condition a car could encounter during its normal daily driving life. And then with diagnostic tools that are available to us because we can plug into the, the car's onboard management systems, you can identify if there's any issues. You can simulate the conditions that the customer says their car plays up in, then identify the faults and fix them. You actually make the devices and the electronics as well? Absolutely. They're all Australian-made. The only thing we don't make here in Australia is the retarders. They're made for us by a company in Spain or two companies in Spain because they're the best at making these in the world. Essentially, they're the, uh, the, the retarder brakes that are on trucks, which are extensively modified so that they're op- operating uh, to a different way, to a different standard. Unfortunately, no one makes them here in Australia, otherwise we'd get them. The rest is Australian. To wholesale the product to businesses that then do it for customers who come through the door. Who are your customers? I guess they, they range from car racing to general mechanics? Absolutely, and from manufacturers. We actually still make cars in Australia, by the way, but people don't see much. There's electric vehicles being made. Uh, and and uh, there's a, one of our manufacturers, Maxi, builds the prototypes for the factories in Asia and India. They're built here in Australia and then sh- shipped over to those factories to say, this is what you've got to build. And they use one of our dynos to uh, test them before they put it in the container and ship it off. Major truck manufacturers, etc. Defence 
and workshops and TAFE colleges as well, by the way. So they're a great teaching tool for TAFE colleges to show automotive technician students what happens when you do X or Y or Z, or if a vehicle is experiencing particular faults, how you can see them and what you can do to fix them. In the past, you and I might remember going to a SU carburetor with a screwdriver. Or what viscosity oil you use in the damper pot to... Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> what I say. Look, I grew up in the day when you didn't have all this sophisticated equipment when you were tuning your Mini Cooper S. Is that then for older cars? What can you do for a modern car that seems to me that all the tuning and that is in a black box? Ah, well, well, it is and it isn't. I mean, there is a black box and manufacturers program it, but they program it for what I'd call a standard package for all conditions so the the system in the black box for your car in melbourne is the same as the system in your black box for the car when it's in darwin manufacturers don't like it but um, you know you might want to change the way that black box the engine management system or the transmission or the suspension management system works then of course there's the aftermarket engine management systems that are very popular in the market as well we're seen as the sort of upper end of the, the dynamometer market because of the quality of our our builds, because we, hmm. we use tradesmen. But more importantly, our software can, and our control systems are far in advance of anything most other companies use. You've done a lot of research and development in that area? The last 12 years has been nonstop research and development, and that's because cars are changing but also demand's changing. So I've got a, an R&D team, which is software engineers, electronic, mechanical, electrical and mechatronic engineers all working on developing the products. You can change the parameters then in some of those, but not only, say, in the engine, but you were saying the, the gearbox as well and, and, and other yeah. parts of the car. Yeah, look, if you look at some modern cars, the number of black boxes, we'll use the term, that are in those cars are more than one. There's several. All-wheel drive cars might have four or five, some of them. Hmm. So as long as that data is being streamed out and we can capture it and display it live, which is one of the things that our system does, then you can help analyse any faults. It's just not faults. It's also, is it performing to an optimum level? A classic example is we develop uh, dynos for truck fleets. The manufacturers here, they put the truck, when it comes off the production line, on a dyno, and you know, one of ours just down the road, fortunately, Kenworth is just round the corner from us. Often they'll never see a dyno again till the day they're driven off a cliff or whatever. But if you put it on a dyno regularly, you can save, and there's a couple of companies around with our dynos who will guarantee you to save you at least 0.1 of a litre per uh, 100 kilometres. You think, no, oh, so what's that? Well, if you've got a, a truck that's doing over 300,000 kilometres a year and you save 0.1, and they actually save much more than that, that amounts to, you know, can amount to $50,000 saving in fuel. Mm. And it's just making sure it's optim operating at an optimum level. Same with Grey Nomads, for example. They're not in a hurry. They're not going to be driving their car to get the maximum sort of you know, power and torque going over the hill. They want to make sure that they're getting the most economical Hmm. engine run towing their caravan so you can actually tune the cars to do that i mean our software is that sophisticated we can simulate the weight of the vehicle what's in it and also towing anything up to a large caravan the exact weight and we can also feed into the data 
the uh, coefficient of drag, the coefficient of resistance, frontal area, etc. So you get a more complete picture of what's actually going to happen to the vehicle on the road. Alan, yeah. this has been a wonderful chat, and uh, I'm hope that we might do it again sometime soon and uh, catch up with that. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. And if you've got nothing else to do, come to Poon Carry in the first <laughs> weekend in May. It's, it's going to be a great place to be. <laughs> We will put the full interview up with Alan on our website soon. And next week on the program, I'll explain what the reference to Poon Carry is all about. You're listening to Overdrive. For the last couple of weeks, we have covered the issue of fraudulently adjusting odometers to reduce the kilometres shown. We concluded that changing a modern digital odometer is very unlikely but fraud might happen when the item is replaced. But we've had some feedback where people have questioned the possibility of, of driving an older car backwards and thus reversing the odometer. There's been clear reference to the 1986 movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off starring Matthew Broderick. In the film he borrowed, as in he took without permission, his father's rare 1961 Ferrari 250 GT, California. It is said that in 2018, one sold for the equivalent of over $64 million. Now, in the movie, they jack up the rear of the car, which, by the way, is a mock-up, and run the car in reverse to reduce the odometer reading. This seems consistent with my memories from a long time ago in college, a friend had an old car, and when it turned over 100,000 miles, he then immediately drove it backwards to experience the thrill of watching the numbers move over to the second rotation of the dial. Could you do that over a great distance in order to try and fraudulently sell the car as a lower mileage vehicle? Well, cost-benefit analysis of driving backwards would need to include the cost of a chiropractor, to help you recover from constantly looking over your shoulder. But then again, what is the cost of your parents seeing you did 200 kilometres when you are only going to the local shops? You're listening to Overdrive. In a world where SUVs are increasing sales every year, cars like the Lexus ES are becoming less popular. Not because there's anything wrong with it, far from it. The ES is a luxury medium-sized sedan that has an abundance of refinement, space and comfort. I drove the ES300 Hybrid Luxury, priced from around $63,500 plus the usual costs. And you get a lot of car for that money. Lexus has always delivered the little luxuries to buyers, and the ES definitely has them. Such as heat and ventilated front seats, huge 12-inch center screen, 10-way electrically adjustable front seats, multi-zone air conditioning and more. The overall ambience is of quietness, space and comfort. The rear seat passengers are well catered for in space and individual air conditioning controls plus more. At the heart of the ES300H is the now familiar 2.5 litre petrol engine with an additional electric motor. Our overall fuel economy on test was 5.1 litres per 100 k's, which is excellent. Driving the ES is a genuinely comfortable experience. It's a type of saloon that you can jump into and drive for hundreds of kilometres and arrive feeling relaxed. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Polestar is an all-electric company headquartered in Sweden that evolved out of Volvo. They are just starting to make their presence felt in the Australian market. Samantha Johnson is the Managing Director of Polestar in Australia. 
We recorded a chat recently where I asked her how she would distribute the vehicles in Australia. Well, we are um, bringing them in and uh, we have um, different locations where we have handover centres set up. So at the moment, because we have quite a backlog of um, customers who have bought our cars, demand's been very strong, we're having handover events uh, where um, through the day we'll have customers come in and, and um, have the Polestar experience with the handover. Uh, going forward, we'll have um, spaces, destinations or permanent handover centres where customers can come in and uh, we can take them around the car, make sure they're comfortable and familiar with all the, um, the setup and everything of their car and, uh, and uh, they can drive away um, happy owners. What about servicing? What, how, how will I go about that? There's a hybrid model. So we have Polestar service network that's in place uh, and pick up and delivery. But also, um, and this is a global model, where we can, we will um, have Polestar service points at Volvo service centres as well. So it'll be a hybrid model. Hmm. Now, when it, it's about two years or 30,000 kilometres until your first service. So when that, that time is due, uh, then uh, we'll contact you and um, organise, you know, will it be pick up and delivery or will you drop it off at a local Polestar service point? You've got one car on the market at the moment. Uh, what's that? The Polestar 2. The Polestar 2, and it's a sedan. Uh, I wouldn't call it a sedan. It's much more adaptable. It's a, it's a um, fastback, which is like a crossover. So it's a little bit higher up, similar to an SUV. It's got the, the hatchback, so you have that real versatility. You can put surfboards and other things in the back, so there's more, more room accessibility. Uh, but it's got that right size as well. It's not too big and bulky, so it's a really good combination. It's based off a, a standard Volvo platform and, and been adapted for an electric vehicle. Yes, yeah, similar to the um, the XC40 platform, but um, you know, different engineering setup, uh, different design, and a lot of other things. Very Polestar. And you got something coming next year? We do Polestar Three. <laughs> There's yeah. a glint in your eye. Uh, eh? Very excited about that coming to the market. It's a it's a large SUV, five seater and uh, looks very beautiful from what I can see and really looking forward to be able to have, you know, just, just more options for customers. And it's been designed from the ground up as an electric vehicle? Correct, yeah. There is uh, the concept out of a sports car. Is that a, a vague dream or a likely reality? It's a concept car at this stage, the O2. Uh, very beautiful, very exciting, uh, but at this stage it's a concept car. Given the performance of electric vehicles, we haven't really embraced them, apart from the very exotic hybrid sorts of things, uh, as a market in general. We haven't embraced them in sports cars. Do you think there's an opportunity in that market, given their performance? I think in every, every type of car there's, and I, this is happening, that electrification is being designed into the vehicles, uh, be it, you know, uh, normal cars that you're driving around on the road, sports cars, um, trucks. There's a lot of things that are being, um, EV, electric vehicles are being built for because it's um, just more environmentally um, friendly. And uh, so and a lot of companies are um, understanding that they, you know, the days of petrol engines and diesel engines are, are of the past. We need to have more sustainable um, options for, for driving these days. Sustainability is a wonderful high ideal. Do you find customers also uh, picking up other factors about it? Again, performance would be one example, but are they looking very broadly at your product offering? Well, uh, being, being an all-electric um, company, Polestar is certainly getting a lot of uh, limelight and attention at the moment as being, you know, something that's very important for people. But there's also, you know, the design, the innovation, the technology, the infotainment screens, connectivity, uh, and just the safety, everything that's being built into the vehicle. So, 
you know, in, in two years' time, there, there, there are so many EVs coming to Australia um, and glo- being built globally. So, you know, you can't just um, be an EV company. You have to be something more. So Polestar is its own brand. Uh, it's certainly um, bringing in a lot of innovators, people who are early adopters, and they, they want to have the latest and greatest in, um, you know, beautiful design, uh, the latest in technology, um, technology and safety in, in a lot of features. In fact, that will be the thing that will help push electric vehicles, that the new models being developed with not only a different powertrain, but with different comfort and safety features are going to come in electric vehicles. So if you want you want everything, you want the best of all worlds, that's the way you're going to have to go. Exactly. And if you haven't driven an EV, the performance is just beautiful to drive. You know, it's just um, just glides off silently. It's, it's very, and then just a you know, higher torque. It's a beautiful car to drive. And quiet. And quiet, yeah, it's beautiful. Do you have a great interface, a human-machine interface using Google Maps and so on? How, how are customers perceiving that? Is that a really major component of what you're promoting and what people are accepting? Yes, well, we've got a, a Google infotainment system and it's very intuitive and you can log in your account details there so it, it learns about, you know, who you are and your, your profile preferences uh, and just very easy. So it's not distracting for the driver but has everything that you need there uh, and having Google Maps as well is, is really an advantage. Does that also give you the Google Voice uh, identification because quite often if you uh, people are developing their own it may not have the background of something as, in, as extensive as Google. Yeah well extensive is a word it's so widely used it's um, yeah it's very easy you just uh, ask it to call a, a contact or um, you know I want to go to this location it'll put it in on Google Maps and um, that's the location you'll go to or it'll even tell you a joke if you ask so <laughs> and uh, you know it's just very very easy to use and it's without you know the distractions of having to push buttons mm-hmm. and do different it doesn't work well and some aren't as good as others that can be very frustrating you can end up shouting at the steering wheel you know, so that fact of Google has perfected it over millions of uses uh, is part is, is helpful Exactly, and that's why we've chosen Google as a partner. And quite, quite frankly, the feedback we've had from people is just really easy to use. Uh, it's um, enjoyable. Um, yeah, it's been really good feedback from people. It's linking the car to your day-to-day activities more than just transport. You don't at the moment have bi-directional charging. Do you think you well, will you move in that direction? Uh, that is something that we're working through at the moment, um, and if that's built into future products, we'll, we'll announce that. But uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of interesting engineering going into that space. And it expands how you interact with the car, not just how you drive it down the road. That it can become, you know, if there's blackout or or, or using there, that's part of the evolution of of this technology. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, we had uh, storms a couple of weeks ago, and our electricity went off. I had a fully charged um, Polestar 2 in the garage and my laptop can, can plug into it for USB-C. So I could sit in my car and, and use my laptop uh, with the car on without any fuel emissions. You know, I don't have fumes going into the garage. And that was, that was fantastic. I could use my car battery to work. Samantha, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Thank you very much. And that was Samantha Johnson, the Managing Director of Polestar here in Australia. And we will put the full interview with her up on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. With utes becoming more popular, modifying them is also popular. 
One such vehicle is the Nissan Pro 4X Warrior, which is locally modified by Prem Car in Melbourne. It recently won an award in the Osroma Car of the Year Awards. Nissan's Warrior is an integrated design that provides greatly improved all-terrain performance while also enhancing on-road ride and handling. Normally those two things are almost mutually exclusive. The Warrior is also equipped with the Navara's 2.3-litre four-cylinder twin-turbo diesel engine, which is 140 kilowatts, 450 Nm, and towing capacity is rated at 3.5 tonnes. The main Warrior features include a Nissan-approved front bar and integrated lights, redesigned tow bar, raised suspension and revised damper rates, front bash plate, Cooper all-terrain tyres, improved approach and ramp over angles, and a bunch of decals to show that it's a Warrior. Having driven many utes over rough four-wheel drive tracks, I have to say the Warrior is one of the most composed utes available. It also comes with a factory-backed Nissan warranty and roadside assistance. It's priced from $64,500 plus the usual costs. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Evans, Samantha Johnson and Paul Just for their great help during this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au for links to the socials and podcasts. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.